You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Land of Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. It is now mid-September, and Matt and I are... Smiling from ear to ear. Well, not really, but we are on the inside. Oh, no doubt. You know, we, we're we smiling on the inside, not on the outside, because it is, well, it's almost 11 o'clock at night. It's been a long day. <laughs> long it's week. It's been a long week. Um, Matt's been in Delaware all week. I'm sure he can give us a rundown of all that. Um, and I've been out. You know, I did something today, Matt. You're Just to give jealous. people a little bit. I guess so they can understand what all kind of crazy things we do. I played in a benefit golf tournament today, and then I went and checked trail cameras. So I went from the preppy little old shorts, you know, to the, the collared shirt to the yeah, yeah. camo tee. And everybody's like, sleeves. whoa, man, you look good. And I was like, I do not feel comfortable in these clothes. <laughs> um, then I went and ran cameras, and it was just and that's one of the big reasons why it's so late. Um, I sat and scouted. It is less than... A week for Missouri archery season to open up. Next Friday. Can I get a whoop, 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 whoop? Uh, and so it's just, we're, we're there. Actually, the next podcast people check out, we'll be there. We'll have time in the tree stand to talk about. How exciting is that? Sightings. Oh, man. That's going to be good. And, and that kind of goes with this week's podcast. We've got a bunch of different topics to cover. But first off... Let's just start off by saying, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles RSS feed. Yeah. Great to have you guys here with us, listening to the podcast. Hopefully you can learn something. But if you guys started out on Land of Legacy and you made the transition over, congratulations. Happy to have you. Thanks for listening to us the last couple of weeks saying, hey, we're not going to be here much longer. We're not going to be here much longer. Well, we're now over here. And Full so transition. You, you won't be able to hear our podcast at our normal location. They're all going to be right here on the Nine Finger Chronicles news feed. RSS feed. News feed made it sound like Facebook, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for thanks for being here. But now we'll dive in and say, 
I think a lot of people, this is something that, I mean, we do this podcast every single week. And if we did this podcast on habitat management every single week, we'd run out of content. I mean, well, we we would still ramble about something. We'd have something to talk we'd about. We'd run out of listeners, though, too. We'd run out of <laughs> listeners. You guys don't want to hear us talk about that all the Now, my wife, she has to hear me talk about that, not just weekly, but daily. Day in, in and day uh, 365 a year. And, and so she hears it, but you guys don't have to. And that's the reason why it's called the ha- Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast, because we, we want to talk a lot about hunting and hunting strategies. So... If you guys want us to talk about a topic that you haven't heard us cover yet, go on our website, www.landandlegacy.tv, and subscribe and send us an email saying what you want us to cover. Uh, Whether that be who knows what, water holes, duck habitat, quail habitat, uh, hunting during the rut, hunting in snow, whatever it is, anything hunting or habitat or conservation or anything outdoors basically uh, we feel like um, we can answer it here we're going to talk about it so feel free to shoot us a message or email or whatever telling us what you want to hear us cover next matt let's talk a little bit about our season preview we we, we mentioned okay season's like five six days away and um it has been leading up to this time incredibly dry here in southwest missouri and and most pretty much all of Missouri. Yeah, really and, a and lot of Missouri. It's one of those things you hate to even you hate to even really gripe about it. Yeah, I mean it, you do, but there there's some advantages though if you if you've got the right setup that you can take advantage of here as season opens up. This is a time frame where a lot of the um vegetation is really starting to dry out, it's really starting to mature, so if deer are on that, they're not getting the same water intake, it's hot. It's dry, so they might be going to a pond. Yeah, or a little water hole and dried up like in a dry creek. Like to, tonight, while I was scouting, there was just a few pockets of water along this dotted creek. throughout a creek that typically runs. Yeah, which um, they haven't seen it yet, but we have footage. Those episodes, we'll ha- we'll have them out there yeah. sometime. Um, of us wading, piggybacking each other across this creek during turkey season. It was flat running then, and now it's just little holes all through the creek. But when we talk hunting and hunting strategy, we always are like, okay, what's the limited resource or what? what's the food source or what's the main component of causing the deer to move the way they are? And right now it's lack of rain. Um, that's a, and that's food, a big influencer. Food is going to be still probably number one, but for as hot as it is, I mean, it's low low to mid-80s, but it's been dry for weeks now. We haven't had much three, rain three and at and a half all. weeks, really? I think so. You know, August started out, we had tons of rain, and it was really cool, and then all of a sudden it just stopped, and it was like kind of like, okay, is it done, or is it going to keep raining? And it's just been dry, and just incredibly dry. So... I actually moved some cameras around this uh, yesterday and today to water holes um, just because you know, we've had them on mineral and other attractants all summer long. We've had great pictures. And then with the drop of a hat, things have changed. Um, they've shed velvet. Bachelor groups are starting to break up. But it's just got incredibly dry. 
which also plays into it. A lot of the food sources that they've been hitting all summer long are now matured and are just not very palatable. And so things are changing. You might say for the better, too, because deer season's almost here. And so, yeah, what else do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the fact that we've got stands overlooking these water holes. For you know, sure. I, and that's, that, you know, we, we've often talked about cattle farms and, and you know, they're tough to hunt. But, you know, in, in other regards, sometimes they offer um, other advantages, like, like having these livestock ponds that, you know, you can kind of go to and hunt around. Or, you know, it's just that, that water source that's on the property and you, you know that, okay, not every deer is going to be leaving, going to neighbors, whatever, this and that. You've got that supply that you can kind of count on. Keep in the back of your hand. Put up a camera, and if they're not hitting that one for a week or a couple of days, move it and put another one, um, and find out where, the, where they're where they're really keying into because of the lack of water. And that could change in a heartbeat. Right now, we don't have what rain in the forecast until uh, gosh, when is it? We don't really even. It, it's, it's a forty percent chance next Saturday and Sunday, so September sixteenth and seventeenth. We have a, and it went up to eighty like. A couple of days ago, and then it boom, dropped, dropped back down to 30, and now it's at 40. But who knows? My gut tells me that it's going to be completely gone by the um, time we get there. by the time we get here. So, you know, I think of several times where it's been really, really dry, and I moved a whole bunch of cameras and stands to water holes, and then all of a sudden we get one pop-up shower, and the whole game changes just, like just by just because of a little shower. And uh, that's what could happen now. But right now, if we're, we're not if, seeing that on the forecast, no. So as as season comes around, Friday and Saturday, we're likely gonna be hunting over in close proximity to these water sources. Because last week, when you when you put one out along a little spring that usually collects water by the edge of one of the fields, you caught one of the hit listers there that hadn't been there at all Mm-mm. during the during the entire year. Granted, they're breaking up, like we said. But that's just one of those resources, boom, they're hitting. He knows about he could easily return. we got to check cameras and see if he's done it since then. But that's a likely possibility. Well, here's the problem with that. When I checked that camera after a, a whole week of being out, we had 15 pictures. 15 pictures. 15 pictures. So I pulled the camera. Oh, wow. And then I went check the car, and I'm like, well, I'll be. He w- Mule was there. And I went and went ahead and moved the camera, but <laughs> probably move it back. But it was like 15 pictures, and and keep in mind he was the only deer there. The rest was crows, a crane, and uh, a couple of coons at night. Right, and that's it. So it was like, well, this is a no brainer. 15, 15 pictures. There's Not barely worth my tracks. time. Yeah. And then Hitlister was there. <laughs> and it's in a great a great hunting location. We can get in on a north wind or a west wind and be right there. It's a very south end of a big cornfield that's actually, I, I guess to give a quick update, is getting cut uh, probably in the week. Um, part of the other big cornfield has been cut all the way around. Um, and so I was down there the other day and it was like a complete, it was like a, it was crazy all the people working. They were cutting corn. Of course, they were cutting trees. We had a, a AC man there to work on the cabin. It was like, you know how often we see people. How often we see people down there? Almost never. And now there's people crawling everywhere. Yeah. Um, the logging operation going fantastic. Uh, I think we've got about 80 acres done now, 
and I don't know how many logs he, how many truckloads of logs he's hauled out of there, but it's been quite a few. Um, interesting thing, he keeps seeing one of our hit list bucks, Mesa, all around that logging operation. In the mornings, they pull in there, and the guys start going up the hill cutting, and then there's Mesa. So it's telling me that deer really don't care how much activity is going on; they're still going to hang out right in there in their normal areas. And then this is, again, really close to one of the loading docks. Yeah. Not far at all. Mm-hmm. And um, even with that uh, human disturbance, he's not moving. Mm-hmm. He's still there. He's so, seen him two or three times now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Well, what do you say that we dive into our to our main topic here okay. um, for this podcast? And honestly, this one is one that may ruffle a few feathers and um, open some eyes, we hope. Uh, and this kind of thing that's been been uh, on our minds quite a bit recently as we've been traveling to a lot of properties and talking um, with landowners and their experiences and, and the best way for them to manage a piece of property. And, um, you know, it, I guess it, it, the, the topic and everything comes up from many, many years of lack of success with this um, tool, if you will, and kind of challenges everyone to recon stop and reconsider and say okay well is this the best is this the best plan am i doing this right is this even the the issue at hand and what we're talking about is predator management versus habitat management yeah that was a can of worms just opened up and they're spilling out everywhere (laughs) yeah so let's let's first talk about just some of the first things that come to mind when we talk about predator management and one of the one of the key predators that has just everyone's attention and has for a long time are coyotes what are some of just the common thoughts right off the top of your head adam common thoughts on predator management uh common thoughts is always people want to do it this is what i always hear and whenever i think of predators and coyotes and raccoons whatever Everybody always complains about the amount of time it takes. Okay. So time it takes to set out traps, run traps, run traps, the laws that are require you to check them every day, which is good. Um, Don't get me wrong, but just it's a time consuming activity. Yes. For a land manager. And when it, and and if they're not going to take the time, they want to just hire somebody. Of course, they're just paying money. Mm -hmm. They're paying somebody. Or if they're not paying anybody, but you think about the amount of time spent, most states, uh, you have to check the traps usually daily. Correct. So you're running these traps every single day. If you have a big trap line, it takes multiple hours. That adds up. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of gas. That's a lot of wear and tear on vehicles. And it just, (laughs) doggone it, it just takes a lot of time. And if you're not very good at it, (laughs) that's even the more frustrating part. Yeah, having having a coyote dig up one of your traps just to come up there and and uh, see that can be a frustrating thing. And then of course you've educated them and they're moving on and or you set the trap out and you get a possum. <laughs> right, you dig all take all that time. I, I to do a dirt out. hole set and boom, possum. Two, I think it was two falls ago. I did a lot of trapping on the family farm and I set out coyote traps all over the place. And I I don't know how many possums I caught. And it was just like, I've had cage traps out all over, and I haven't caught a possum. And I start putting out these coon traps, and or coyote traps, and I'm catching possums. 
yeah. by the back leg too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a it's a hot topic. It's something that more and more people are thinking about, talking about, wanting to do. Because there's so many people, when we look at the research that's going on, I'm sure that's in all of your notes, but mm-hmm. all the research that's going on and the, the amount of coyotes like uh, predating on fawns and all of the people talking about prey numbers declining and the rise in predators, but then we got to look at it from another side. Right. Is that the issue at hand? Are, are is the only thing that's changing predator numbers and if and if they're changing and increasing so much with all the the talk about predator management is that really the issue is that the is that the solution to be trapping and doing predator management because if we take a look at the history of it through long long time ago and and honestly government um policies to eradicate predators like the coyote they were ineffective hmm. throughout the west that was that was mandates for people to begin to had bounties right everything eradicate coyotes and and what what's happened over the over the years i i'm not gonna say we've gotten more coyotes but they haven't gone away well they're still we here. actually we We've pushed them into areas outside of their native range. Right. I mean, we have them all the way. South Carolina didn't have coyotes for a long time. Now they have huge populations of them. They've moved up to where, I I believe I saw this, to where there was coyotes on a, uh, they were out on an island in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. The only way to get to that is by bridge. Oh, wow. And now they have coyotes all over that place. And it's like. They, their their population is just spread like a wildfire across the country and people are trapping and even the government was poisoning for years and they're not going anywhere it's just a it's one of those things where when you try so hard and you and you do so much and you actually see what you do is like not even a not, and it's a not drop effective. of water in the bucket. Yeah. It's frustrating. And then when you get to that point, it's like, okay, let's think about what we're doing here. Let's think about the time that we spend. And then you got to you gotta look at the ranges in which these coyotes are, are covering. And, and we always hear the differences between a, a western coyote and then an eastern coyote. And... and the, the ranges and habitat that they're occupying. And uh, in an eastern coyote, a lot of studies recently have been showing just how transient or how much ground they cover and not occupying distinct home ranges, if you will. They don't have a territory that they're covering. And this is some study out of the um, Appalachian Mountains of Virginia. Um, they basically they were testing feces for, and for DNA samples um, passed through and with all their collection they were finding very little recounts or similar DNA from the scat that they're collecting in a in a um, given area and this was a you know across a county or two and very few of the scat DNA samples had repeat customers so that automatically told them that okay these coyotes that we're seeing 
aren't the same coyotes that we saw two days ago. You know, it's likely that we're having new ones come through and they're very transient. So let's say we've got a property size of 100 acres. What what are we doing? What impact are we having on the local coyote herd if we can even say local? Because they're occupying ranges. And this another study, I've, this was I think North Carolina, they had GPS collars and this coyote in a less than two weeks traveled over 200 miles. That's incredible. 200 miles. And you compare that to a deer's home range, how much they travel. Right. We've talked about the study out of Penn State where in October it only... Uh, uh, 24 miles. Two and a half year old buck went 24 miles. Yep. And th- that, that 24 miles was, was just... From dot to dot, basically. Dot to dot. And it wasn't, where... wasn't from like a 24-mile stretch on the highway. Just within that home range, it, it traveled that many miles. It didn't go outside of you know the, these bounds. But this coyote, it, well, that's not the same for this coyote. During the time of the year when deer travel the most, that's the rut, it still only went like 93 miles. Mm-hmm. So you compare that to a coyote, it's <laughs> there's really no comparison. Well, And, and the coyote study was saying that that's, it was across the entire state. It just traveled from one point that's farthest points was, you know, 200 miles away. And wasn't, it wasn't stopping. It wasn't slowing down. It was just going. It was just moving. It didn't have a distinct range that it was occupying. That's probably why, you know, I think back two years ago, mm-hmm. three years ago, we had a coyote on the, uh, on well, the Prairie Hollow property. Showed up red as could be. Like, it looked like a red fox, but it was a coyote body. And it was like, hmm, that's that that'd be really cool to to shoot that coyote or trap that coyote. We never saw him again, and right. it's like, well, he's probably who knows where he's at, Arkansas. And, and it's tough to say, um, you know, tell coyotes apart unless they have those distinct markings. Unlike you know, like a hitless buck that's got specific antler characteristics. But mm-hmm. right, how many different coyotes are you are you seeing on your cameras? Tough to tell because they all typically look pretty similar but you know with that knowledge of how coyotes are moving throughout the throughout the land what effect are we having on them especially if you're a a 50 acre block out of 6,000 acres and no one else around you traps are you having an effect a positive effect Mm -hmm. because then we also know through through a lot of research that coyotes are, are very um into their environment so let's say you do heavy um a lot of trapping you start to remove them the females respond by producing a larger litter the next year so even if you are taking a lot of predators and the the environment saying hey we can support more they do so so it's kind of a frustrating thing and that with all that information we really got to take a step back and say okay all right we know that throughout a lot of parts of the country, coyotes are taking a really large portion of fawns, but is it the coyote's fault, or or is there a different issue here? Whose fault is it? And, and you know what? I'm going to put the fault right on our shoulders and say, I believe... Because of all this trapping history that we know is really ineffective, that the issue at hand is not the fact that their coyote, who's coexisted with deer for a long, long time, it's the fact that the deer 
don't have the habitat necessary to evade a coyote. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple other things we'll talk about. Sure. I think about, like, if you took my house away, how long would you, if, if I took your house, Matt, how long would you survive without your comfort? Country boy can't survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would be displaced. Uh-huh. I would not be safe. I would not be secure. And likely, some, I would be more susceptible to danger. If mm-hmm. I don't have the right, the right, let's say, habitat, I am more susceptible to the dangers that are out there. So with that being said, okay, what is it? What does it take then for a white-tailed deer to have? What are they need for the adequate cover, escape cover, and bedding cover? And that is thick vegetation from the level of four feet, three and a half, four feet down to the ground. And we look a lot throughout the entire country. How much of that ground within a whitetail's range is devoted to either crops or unmanaged timber? Or pasture. Yeah. <clears throat> Do Tons. we, are we offering deer the adequate cover and habitat to really be successful and let's say evade these predators and another factor that we're going to talk about is the fact that let's let's really dive in and look at a coyote and its food preferences because when we do that we learn that deer is not the highest on that list we find out that rodents rabbits voles moles those types of animals, ground-nesting birds, are higher, much higher on the list than a fawn or than a deer. And it's really funny to me how how we make the correlation that, okay, wait, 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 wait a second, let's go back. So a deer needs vegetation from four foot down to the ground to be able to survive. That's That's early successional habitat. That is the stuff that we often talk about and that we're promoting. And it's funny to me because if we have that habitat available, then the rabbits have higher numbers. The rodents are present and the voles are also present. All the the primary food sources for the coyote are there. And then that also gives the deer the ability to find adequate cover and escape if they are pursued by a predator. And over the course of many properties and just the knowledge of, of being in and around so many different types of habitat and talking with landowners, we feel really strongly that this is the case. The issue is not the fact that the coyote is present in the landscape with deer because that's that's happened for many, many, many years. And it's, as we said, it's never going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. I, I honestly have to chuckle in my head when somebody talks about, I'm going to trap every doggone coyote. I'm going to, it's kind of like, <laughs> that's like, that's like trying to bail water out of the Titanic with a bucket. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it's a lost cause. And, and okay, I don't want people to say, well, gosh, you're just telling me I've been wasting all my efforts. There's nothing I can do. You're telling me right now that, that you know, just throw in the towel. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is 
the habitat work that you can do on your property will make a very large influence, positive influence, for the deer that are used in your property. So whatever, if you if you have deer that are occupying, you know, you've got 50 acres, and okay, deer are obviously not staying 100% on your property, but if you have the best habitat around, they're going to prefer that over your neighbors who's not doing the work, and then you're going to have a better opportunity of getting more deer fawns that are dropping and recruiting them into the hunting season getting them to like that sixth month mark after they're born that's a recruitment that's a fawn that's been recruited and when you have that cover available boom they're preferring it because they want the best that's in the area you know you brought up an interesting point and it made me think of when you talked about not giving up on trapping and everything like that and it goes into what we do on a on a daily basis as land and wildlife consultants oftentimes we go to these properties and every landowner's got all these projects he's doing Mm -hmm. and he wants to improve the habitat i want bigger deer i want more quail i want more turkeys i want to be able to do all this work in less time because my wife and i she wants me at home with the family rather than out here or whatever it is. Whatever, yeah. There's always a challenge. Variables. Sure. That's what I love about it is each property has got its own unique challenge. Each property is a puzzle. It has so many different pieces to it. And it's all about putting them together. And each property has a totally different solution. Oh, you no can't, doubt. You can't go into a property and say... This will be it. Yep. Here, here is... The, here is project XYZ. Okay, here's project XYZ. Next property, XYZ. You can't do that. No, you got to be A, B, C, and Z, and then M, N, P, Q, And one, S, two, three, and four. A. Yeah. Because if if you go to a property in Kansas, just like last week, and it's got native grasses, and it's basically a, an old prairie, we can't manage that the way we would manage a pine plantation in Georgia. You can't go in and say, "Hey, let's let's burn this and put in a food plot and call it good." Call it good and say, "Okay, you've got you know, you're going to have great hunting now." You just can't do that. You have to look at it for each property, see what what the heartbeat of that property is, and then manage around that and manage for all four seasons. Yes, you have to have everything a whitetail would need. Or if you want to improve to the best of your ability on your property, understand what a deer needs from January 1 till December 31st. And if you have that available, you'll see more deer activity on your property. That's just logic. And, you know, let's just dial it down and say a guy who just, how I was back in the day mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Oh, I was oh really gosh, only thinking about, out. I was really only thinking about hunting or or the food plots a few months, maybe one month before season. Yeah. And then after that, I was thinking about other stuff, baseball, whatever. Turkey hunting. Turkey hunting, creek fishing, whatever. But if we are really wanting to have better hunting, oftentimes it's the management that's done during the off season that does. The largest impact. Yeah. Positive impact to your property. That And that's, we see that. And, and explain that often to, to many of the people that we come in contact with because, you know, it's, it's during deer season, I'm a hunter at heart. 
I want to be in the stand, and I, I want to do as little impact and influence on my property disturbance during those times of the year. So I'm going to make my property the best it can be from the end of season to the start of the next one and know that I'm, I'm positively influencing it. But I think you, you brought up the Kansas property. We'll go back to kind of the, the coyote realm of things. His property was really a great travel corridor from a large um, kind of a, I guess it was a, creek system that that fed out of um large lake basically it was an old creek system it was an old creek system that fed into another one said they swam in and they fished out of and just north of his property they put in a watershed lake and it dried up and trees grew up in in the creek and it got thick and nasty and now it's just a travel corridor property and he was asking us about about trapping and, and and basically, what impact am I going to have? You know, is it worth my time? And and we had to look him dead square in the eyes and and honestly tell him, for his area of the country, the impact that he can have, especially being a travel corridor for coyotes and knowing how large of a range it is out there for a lot of coyotes, and the fact that he had very little time, he lived twenty five minutes away from the property, his impact was going to be very little, and and pretty much ineffective in his entire neighborhood and we saved him so much time and 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 then on top of that gave him a solution that would have a much larger impact and along those ditches and along a lot of the property lines and everything and throughout some of the center of the heart of the property there was smooth brome which is a non-native cool season grass that grows like a mat and basically just like a fescue we've talked about many times before, will inhibit the, gro- the the native forage to cover the food on his place. So just by spraying out that smooth brome grass, he's going to now, next year during the growing season and fawning season, have a lot better cover for the fawns that are being born on the property to survive. He has a much... And that, that impact goes from year one and... I don't even know how long. He just manages as it with long fire. As he keeps managing yeah. it with fire. It could be now till Jesus comes back. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that has a much larger impact than him trapping two weeks out of the year and, 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 and using his resources, time and money on trapping. We can have a larger impact for him and for the, the deer in that area. You think about Matt and I were in a quail forever banquet i'm uh, not a not a banquet i guess a startup chapter meeting about a month ago and they the the biologists there ask what do you think the number one reason for the decline in numbers is rise of predators i forget what else he threw out there loss, loss of, of habitat and loss of habitat was it it's not that there's of course more predators is harming to these animals quail being the one we were talking about that night, but it's the loss of habitat that's preventing that is harming them the most. You look around, and we have fence row to fence row farming. Now we have all these exotics, the non-natives, the bromes and the fescues that are coming in, and they are pretty much. Think about Mr. Johnson's property in Kansas. Mm-hmm. It was crop field, smooth brome, hay pasture, and then a little bit of strip of strip of woods all around the creek and fence rows and they're all encroached with smooth brome underneath the trees yeah 
if if I'm a quail, I might as well be running across the Walmart parking lot. It's it for benefit for wildlife for, from a quail's aspect. Unfortunately, for a, a majority of the property, it was not adequate habitat. They they would have been struggling and would have been then condensed in further, easily predated on. The save- resources were just small on that property. The saving grace is he has a central corridor that along that creek, but it's got a lot of native grasses it established does. and a lot of a lot of native wildflowers and all kinds of beautiful plants. There was lots of sunflowers, native sunflowers growing, Illinois bunflower, partridge pea both types of ragweed and then all the native grasses mixed in and i'm sure i'm forgetting one but it was primo habitat in certain areas but if left unmanaged those areas were going to be smooth brome if he just let it continue its course and let's let's turn this back around let's let's drive this back so we can really drive home this what we're talking about here when he asked us, Mr. Johnson asked us about trapping, we told him that it's pretty much a, lot, a lack of, of time. And it's, it's not going to be beneficial to him to have to drive up there 25 minutes every day, check some traps. He's not a, he's not a trapper anyway. Right. Trapping coyotes is difficult. It takes a, it's a very and, skill. And not only that, going to the Quail Forever meeting, but oftentimes it's the nest predators. They were talking coyotes aren't even that big of a, a no. predator on quail. So we need to be also trapping, putting out cow traps, but also buying traps to put out to catch raccoons and possums. Mm-hmm. And now we look at how many traps we got to buy, and it all goes back to what we do on a daily basis. We're land and wildlife consultants. Not just that, but we're also managers of people and, and what their situation is. And we have to prioritize what's the biggest bang for our buck. What what what, what are you going to do that's going to influence the property positively in the largest manner what can you do at the cheapest cost sure and that's why we talk so much about old field management and spraying back these uh exotics or non-natives smooth bromes it doesn't he's going to go through and spray that next spring and drop of a hat snap of your fingers he's going to convert that from biological desert concrete slab nothing beneficial to Cover and food. Because you and I know what a majority is going to come back. Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of ragweed. Lots of ragweed year one. And it's just going to be increasing its diversity um, throughout the the next four or five years until he just rotates it with fire, resets Mm -hmm. it back. I want to talk about the the property I was just on, one of the properties in Delaware, for a little bit. I'm going to correlate with, with the coyotes and everything. Um, and then you want I have to talk a, I, about all the seat ticks you got into. No, no, I don't at all. I hear they're great quail food. I don't <laughs> know if that's true or not. I don't. I don't care. I really don't at this point. My ankles are torn up. They are red. They are splotchy and itchy. Thousands of seat all right, ticks. Here's your Kleenexes. Now let's hear about this uh, Delaware property. Two hundred ninety-eight acres. In the year two thousand, this property was a crop field. Corn and soybeans on this property in the year 2000. The gentleman, very conservation-minded, went in and planted over 100,000 trees, 20,000 shrubs throughout the course of the next five, six years. Right now, his property has some of the, the most 
food and cover I think I've ever seen on a property. It's 298 acres. It was a blank slate, as, as blank as you can get. Hmm. Exposed dirt blank is what I'm talking about. And now it is waste to chest high, grasses and forbs, and rows of planted trees, hard-massed trees. How tall? What's the tallest tree on the place? He had one corridor through the property that that is now uh, 100, 125-year-old oaks and some mixed pine. But that was the only one. Those are the tallest. But right now, most of his trees, he's, he's hanging stands in them. Oh, wow. He's he's got stands in some that, of the trees he's planted himself. So, w- what DBH are those? Uh, eightish wow. on some of the oaks, and they're Diameter all growing breast at, height for everybody. That they're all growing at, at different rates, of course. But mm-hmm. throughout much of the property, I mean, they they are up there twenty five, thirty foot um, trees, mm. and, and and he's hunting out of them. Anyhow, it was an incredible story. But what I, what I'm saying is. There was food and cover everywhere. The ma- the rabbits we saw in this place, everywhere. Hmm. Rodents darting out in front of you across these little trails he had cut through there. Everywhere. Now, for him, Delaware, his area does not have coyotes. However, he's got foxes. But when he does have coyotes that do come in, because they're not far off, his fawns, the deer, are going to have the adequate cover to be able to escape, evade, the predators that are using that property. And then they're going to have, the predators are going to have so many other food sources to offset the pressure that they put on fawns. I'm going to, I'm going to now go into the other thing I was going to, I was going to talk about. This is a little bit, we're going to have to open our eye, our eyes Sorry, a little I'm, bit to this. I'm daydreaming because when I hear of a property, I try and actually visualize it. So the, I'm like, it was, it was incredible. Um, so, cropland and and this is another his property stood out to me among thousands of acres in delaware because he had done something no one else had done but when you go outside the property lines it's very it's a rural part of of delaware and it is cropland and mature hardwood forest and let's say for a deer on these crops let's say you've got a hundred acres of soybeans and then you have hardwoods that these deer are living in. It's closed canopy, no native forage to offset what a deer would be eating. So what do they do? They have one food source pretty much, right? Oh, yeah. They go and they eat the soybeans, and they crush the soybeans. And the farmers hate the deer out there. They hate the deer. But they only have one food source during the growing season. So to me, I look at this and and say, this is really similar to what the coyote. Our, our, our thoughts on the coyotes and the fawns is these deer don't have another option. Their browse is so incredibly limited because right now a lot of the farmers, a lot of the areas, the, the land out there is either closed canopy forest or crops. They don't have edge. They don't have those early successional uh, species present in that landscape. So as a result of the lack of management, the deer have a horrible name out there. They're getting damage permits, 50 to 100 doe tags on really small properties because there's so much brash pressure on these crops. And then I look at the coyote and say, this is the same This is the same thing. We're blaming the coyote on the fact that they're taking so many fawns when the, they don't have the, their food source, the offset, the diversity of the rodents, the rabbits, and everything else. 
because the the habitat is not there. Mm-hmm. So at both of those instances can be solved and done. Solution is the habitat. Get the habitat to where it needs to be. Have what it's lacking, and your solution is and give there. The, give that doe a place to hide that fawn. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think of let's just let's just use one of my stupid examples here. Yeah, if okay. I was to give you, I was to kick you out of your house, Matt. Yep. And I say, okay, you're you're in survival mode now, and you are in the edge of a field or whatever, and there's coyotes and, or there's rabbits and mice, and you have the ability. You've ran around with a stick and you've killed some rabbits, and before too long, you've you've killed out the rabbits. Mm-hmm. You're still hungry. I would absolutely be hungry. Here comes a buffalo, and all you have is a stick. He better watch out. Day three, you're <laughs> going to try and club him. <laughs> and it's the same way with the coyote. Like if they, if they don't have the adequate amount of rabbits and and they're they're mice, oppor- opportunistic, then they they still they're trying to survive just like a deer is. Yeah, just like a rabbit is, just like a quail is, and so they're they need to eat. And if they can't eat a rabbit, it's on to the next thing. And and I'm not saying by by saying that the diversity of their food sources, if if you have to cover the rodents and the rabbits, that fawns still wouldn't be taken, but you would not see nearly to the same degree, I believe, the fawns that do not make it through. To hunting season. Mm-hmm. The pressure would be taken off, would be lifted. It, it, it's just a matter of probability. If you have one fawn and five acres and 20 rabbits and five acres and 75 rodents and a coyote comes to that five acre block, what are the chances that he's going to get and feed on the fawn? I'm, I, I don't know. It's just probability for me. For sure. And, and a much easier meal is a rabbit or a, a mouse. Like, there's more of them. They're not as fast. They're yeah. smaller. It's just, to me, it just makes sense. Now, if he comes and puts his nose directly on that fawn, okay, yeah, he's yeah. going to eat it. I'm not saying he's not going to eat it. That's a whole but... other podcast is, is the <laughs> yeah. whole concept of I want to save every fawn. We're talking about trying to manage a wild animal and wild populations. Yeah. And we get so worked up over about uh, so worked up when we find a fawn dead, and it's like that's life. It, that that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. It, God put that thing on this earth not to be frolicking in the Garden of Eden forever. Like that, there's predators. Mm-hmm. There's diseases. There's a food chain. There's viruses. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on to where these animals perish. But the best thing we can do is manage the habitat, fix up their home, give them food, give them cover. And especially in the areas that are, are 80% of the fawns aren't, aren't getting to hunting season, that's a problem. That's an issue. And, and, and what we're saying is the solution is, is not to try and, and put all your energy and removing coyotes that are transient and, and occupying huge ranges and other people aren't, you know, putting their efforts to do the same. How about you focus on what you can influence and that is the habitat. And as a result of you influence the habitat, your fawns will have a better chance of making it. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's not, it's one of those things as we go back to the word prioritizing, and when you look at a property, 
what I I oftentimes try to, and you do as well. We try to think a long term. What what management can we do that's the biggest benefit long term? And trapping is a short term solution. You're going to trap. Let's say you trap hardcore for two years and you knock the coyote population down a little bit. Two years later, it's back to normal. But you convert. You create a void and then the void is filled if you don't continue the same aggressive yes. habit, the trapping. Excuse me. But you take an old field that's got fescue in it and Cerise Lespediza and you've just let it sit there and it's 20 acres. You can in turn go and spray that let some native grasses or forbs come back, and now you have head-high cover, that's a long-term gain. You have that as long as all you have to do is send a fire through it every couple of years, and that is bedding and food year-round and for the for the rest of your life if you want it. Right. That's a long-term gain. Long-term gain with very positive impacts to reaching most likely what your goals are for that property, which is influencing increasing deer numbers and making the hunting better. I mean, it, you know, after so many years of, of, I guess, failed attempts, you, I was going to say banging my head against the wall. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or, or, or so many, so many road trips or so many drives down the road to, Pull up on empty traps. Right, right. <laughs> you you think oh, there's got to be another way? Yeah. What else can I do? Or you just you just you just see so many other people are spending buku money on on trappers and and then they still you know they're not working in their timber and they're not doing this and it's like I hate to break it to you, but you know your impact is is minimal um, mm-hmm. on a year in year out basis. And you're allocating funds for a practice that isn't giving you basically the, the, the return that you wish it would. And um, with that, we you know so many failed attempts on so many different levels across so many different states and so many different regions. We just got to say, it's not working. So let's find the alternative. And the alternative is right before us. It was given to us as a resource that we just need to manage. It's right in front of our face. Yeah, that's what it is. We're we're stubborn sometimes. I mean, as humans, we are. We're just, we oh we stubborn think that we and we can, don't like change. Exactly, exactly. And, and oftentimes, and we like myself, to point the finger, the blame finger. Coyotes, I, they they're doing it. Yeah. Well, golly, it's us not providing and managing in an appropriate way. Yeah. Or lack thereof management. You yeah. say to me. It's just it's it's frustrating to sit back and and to think of the amount of money and time it takes to it would take me let's just say on my family farm for rough estimate 300 acres the amount of time it would take to drive down there put out the traps buy the traps run the traps reset the traps get the possums out of my traps and reset them for <laughs> coyotes it takes a lot of time Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, and I'm going to give you a, an, an exact number because I did this two years ago. I trapped pretty heavily, and we got one coyote. Yeah, that's a waste. Yeah, all we did was just 
run around in circles. Waste your time? <laughs> there were so many phrases I could have used right there, but we yeah. just wasted our time. We wasted our time. We wasted our money. We could have done so many things differently. And and honestly covered a larger area most likely. Now, I just go back to that Delaware property or the neighboring property when you tell me it was crop fields right up to mature closed canopy forest. Knowing, knowing the properties I've seen in Delaware, the closed canopy forests were beautiful logs. This had a mixture. Yeah. It did. It had a lot of um, – this one I'm, I'm referring to had a lot of beech, had some tulip poplar, had a lot of maple, but some just incredible, incredible log – quality oaks white oaks and red oaks and black oaks chance to make money but then the other side of that even those trees that aren't gonna they don't provide any value i'm gonna go in and just cut a bunch of them down open up the canopy now i have this is why i love this because growing up managed on a cattle farm why sometimes i like the cut the tree down treat the stump method rather than hack and squirt because when i cut that tree down i get immediate Cover on the ground. Bugs There's on the ground. Bugs equal on food. the ground. Sprouts. Food. Let's say the stump. I didn't treat the stump. It sprouts, sprouts back. They're going to eat on that stump sprout. But then I have that that tree laying there that's now a visual barrier in a place for a deer to escape if they need to. And I and let's just say I do that over a whole acre and I've dropped a hundred trees. Now there's a thicket. Oh yeah. And now we have all kinds of sunshine shining down on the forest floor. And that's that's it. All it took you was, let's just say you already had the chainsaw. It took you a couple of days, maybe not even a couple of days, maybe an afternoon, and a chainsaw and some gas and bar oil and a little bit of time. And now you've talked long-term gains. Mm-hmm. Here, here's an example. <clears throat> this was another property I was on in Delaware. And this gentleman, it was, it was primarily wooded, <clears throat> and he had... One area that had been replanted in pines, and the other area, he wa- he wasn't aware at the time of the consultation, but went back and did a little more research. On the other side, the west end of the property, it was just thick, mangled mixture of whatever just grew. So to me, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, clear cut at one time, obviously unmanaged, while the other was... Um, cared for and managed and replanted in pines and then within the last four to five years had a commercial thinning and as a result of that a lot of a lot of vegetation on the ground actually there's a picture up on uh our facebook page today um september 9th if you want to go check that out but they have been commercially thinned but what i'm trying to say is basically it was a managed area versus an unmanaged area and when he went back and looked at some more information he saw that in 1994, there was a horrible, horrible ice storm that really crushed that property and the timber on that property. So as a result of that, what they did, they came in and clear-cut the entire property and then only replanted the eastern side, and the western side was left unmanaged. And he he shared that with me through email and was able to go back and say, see, that's the difference between managed timber an unmanaged timber. Now, years, years, years down the road, you have a jumbled mess of it was anything from willow oaks, white oaks, Virginia pine, um, shortleaf pine, maples, gum trees everywhere, sweet gum, 
of all different shapes and sizes all competing from that clear cut compared to the other side, the eastern side, which was replanted in pines and thinned and managed. And just the management practices created so much more benefit on his place. And he was able to see that as a result, you know, hunting observations where he got most of the um, the deer and where he was hunting the most because that was the best. So no matter if you have woods, if you have fields, manage it. Yeah. And And as a result of those management practices, you will see... A, a positive correlation for your deer or your turkeys wildlife in general quail yes. you know it, or your jackrabbits that's one thing everybody talks about not everybody not a lot of people don't even realize it but jackrabbit numbers declining so much and it's the same thing as everything else oh yeah well guess what they don't have habitat anymore Drive down the road. This is one thing I wanted to talk about, um, just briefly mentioned earlier. Drive down the road when we go from from our homes here in Missouri to our lease out in Kansas. How much smooth brome in the road ditches, fescue in the road ditches. And it's like, I just look at all that and I say, if we really care about the quail, why don't we just spray off all that and just let it grow back in native grasses and forbs? And instead of mowing it every year, Let's let's mow just right along the edge, but let's leave the banks, the big tall banks. Let's leave those tall and all that native grass, and consider that. Hey, now we have habitat for quail, even though they're right next to the road. At least we have some quail. You know, if you go by twenty-five foot width of a roadside on the highway by four hundred, no, it's two hundred sixty miles. That's a lot of acreage right there. Yeah, for sure. That can be. And save, you don't have to, they don't have to pay someone to mow it twice a year. And I've had this thought like once in my head, maybe twice. And I think about our spare and I'm like, you know, we could put that in the back of the truck. Just crank that baby. Turn those two nozzles off and just shoot it out the one side and just yeah. drive down the side of the road all the way out there. How take, many, take us a long way, long time to get tanks? there. <laughs> if the state would, if you're listening and you work for the yeah. state department, we would do it if you guys would. If you guys would fill up the tank and buy the herbicide, we'd do it for we, you. We'd have to have one of those, like, you know, the you've seen those airplanes fill up as they're going? Yeah. It would be like that. They'd just have a helicopter over top of the truck and just yeah. be filling us up. With a hose hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. We'd spray it all the way out there and then all the way back. Yeah. We'd hit we'd hit the southbound side, too. You betcha. <laughs> and we would, we would drastically improve some habitat just on the road ditch. And that, to me, that's just like... There's so many places, obviously, that could be improved, but that's one that I just obviously it's right in front of your face every time you drive, and it's just well, like I say that that just ought to tell you what the like, thoughts ha- we have as we're driving down the highway. We have we have some long, boring rides. My my <laughs> wife, t- two or three days ago, we were going over to a friend's house, and we were gonna we were gonna have dinner with them, and they they live on twenty acres, and. The husband's like, hey, could I get you to come out a little early and we'll just walk the property and see what you think? I was like, sure. I always love seeing land. I'm driving down the driving down the road and my wife, Nikki, goes, are you mad? I'm like, no, why? She goes, well, you're being really quiet. I'm like, um, do you want the honest answer? And she said yes. I said, that's dangerous. I'm just looking at all the land and seeing what's in the habitat or what the habitat is. She goes, 
that's really it. You're just looking out the window. And I'm like, yeah, basically in one word, I'm gawking. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking to see what's here. Yeah. And it was a lot of Cerisa, unfortunately. You're, you're like the college boy at a, um, at a, yeah. at a bar and he's just gawking. Or and you're driving just, down campus as soon as school yeah. opens up and you're just gawking. Sundresses. Now, it, <laughs> it was there that one day. I, I was there back in college. But now it's like, hey, Habitat. hey, did you see that Indian grass? Yeah. Did you see that big blues? Oh, oh, pull over. It's Illinois bundle flower. Illinois bundle flower. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how priorities in life change, don't they? Oh, for sure. So... Are you feel confident with that? Are you good with everything we just covered? Because I got one more little tidbit I want to add before we close up this podcast. I am, I am, and I, I just, again, I we probably ruffled a few feathers or changed some. Hopefully, we changed <clears throat> people's opinion. Just opened, broadened you, some horizons. You know what the term "rubberneck" is, right? Oh yeah, that's what happened. People are driving down the road and they're listening to this podcast and they're rubbernecking like, what? Yeah, Did they yeah. just tell me. Now, just to sum it up in a nutshell, we're not saying sell all your traps, take them to the scrapyard. No. Or, or, or not you, saying... If, what, if you have the time, and even if you don't have the time, you're going down there a weekend, absolutely, throw out some cage traps, dog-proof traps, do a little bit of trapping. But also, if you have a problem, which you probably think you have a problem if you're trapping, if you have that problem... Why not, instead of trying to solve it with one solution, solve it with two? Work on the predator numbers, but also improve the habitat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's basically what we're saying. Oftentimes, too much influence is put on trapping and not enough on habitat restoration. Sure. And we need to be thinking about habitat restoration as I, much, if not more, than trapping. And in hunting situations, if a coyote comes by, offers a shot, we take well, it. We don't even have to. You, you were already halfway through that sentence, and I was already saying, I'm fl- the arrow's already sh- launched. Safety is off. First pressure on the trigger. Yeah. Absolutely. You remember, that, you remember that hunt we were on a couple years ago, and uh, we were hunting that power line, and two coyotes came up there. Do you remember you were filming, I was hunting, first coyote, boom. There was no celebration. No. It was just, and I was trying to get on that other coyote. Oh, yeah. It oh, was, yeah. That, and that's how, like. Two for one. From this day on, I mean, if we get a, unless, now I'll say something very, that's never going to happen. But if coyote numbers were very bad, then I probably wouldn't shoot them. But from this day for, until something when drastically changing. When he says changing, bad, he means very low. Very low, yeah. Very low numbers to where we're like, the, the, coyote, the coyote is in the situation the wild white quail is. Um, I'm going to be shooting coyotes every chance I get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I agree. That's pretty I much agree. it. We're gonna sh- we're gonna continue shooting coyotes every chance we get. We're gonna keep trapping if we have the time, but we're not going out of our way and spending bukus of money to do it. But now we're gonna also improve the habitat. And I hope. A- a- and sometimes it's not. If you're like, well, what do I have that? How can I improve the habitat for a quail? I don't have that much land, or I don't have that much land that's set up for that. All we have are crop fields and and. And woods, soft edges. Let when you go look at that crop field, what is the what does the road ditch look like? And if the road ditch has a fence in it, and you continue to spray that fence with two four D and mow underneath it or bush hog under, bingo! There's a there's a way you can improve it. Stop bush hogging it. Mm-hmm. Get that back in. I know it doesn't look pretty, but get that back in head high. 
giant ragweed and sunflowers or whatever is native to that area. Yeah. Um, And that's that to me, that's just one of the even though it looks like a 10 yard strip, it doesn't add up to much. It is something. Improve it. Make it better. I promise you, you can look back one day. When a, when a bobwhite quail or a, a fawn's laying in that ditch, and you'll say, okay, it was worth it. Yeah. Oh, hey, I, I likely influenced that area enough to make it um, highly selected and, for a fawn. And hint, hint, wink, wink, fellas. You're looking for ways to get your better half, your wife, your girlfriend, your fiancé involved in this whole thing that we call fun out in the woods. This is a, this is a great opportunity uh-huh. to bring back more wildflowers. Ooh, yeah, ooh, ooh, ooh. more wildflowers. You can pick wildflowers. You can have more wildflowers, more songbirds, more quail, more things that the ladies like. Oftentimes, not all of them, but that's just one way, another way. And I promise you, it'll pay off in the long run. Um, now, what else are you gonna throw out here? I'll throw out one more thing. We talked about it earlier in the podcast. Deer season's almost here. As I told you, I was scouting beforehand, before we even got here. So like two hours ago, right at dark, I was watching a soybean field, and a shooter stepped out. Mm-hmm. And by shooter, I mean, I'm going to say, I haven't even told you this, but he's every bit of 150, I think. Sweet. Um, I like that. Yeah, he was a stud. And he was standing hard, in Hard a, horn? No, he was still velvet. Still velvet. Okay. He was with the little eight-pointer, and the, the little eight-pointer was... Uh, he was still he was shut out. He mm-hmm. was hard horn. Um but that but that big tall guy, if he I didn't get a real good look at him his very last light. But if he was out of velvet, oh my gosh, he's got banana tines. Really? Oh yeah. Tons of mass. It, but he had I'm almost positive he was still in velvet. Okay. So either way was, either way, he's in a great spot too. Pretty close. The huge benefit is it's it's hot and dry, we know that. But this soybean field is very close to the bedding area. And when we talked a couple podcasts ago about early season hunting, we want to get close to those bedding areas. Close if you want to catch proximity. deer moving during daylight, that's how we do it. We're going in close to the bedding area, hunting a preferred food source. And I really like our chances. So, Heck yeah. I think that pretty much wraps up this week's podcast. My hope is if this was good informational, let us know. If you, if you, we probably get some feedback on this one, as in you guys are crazy. They might, they might close but, us down on that one. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if, if, share this one. I really, I really hope that this is a, a new thought um, in a lot of people's mind because I'm, I'm very confident in, in what we shared. Um, so, you know, you've got a buddy who hates a coyote. Um, perhaps share this with them and, and, and talk about this with them. Um, open their eyes. You know, change is tough, but I think if we want to see results, we've got to change our tactics. I think, it, honestly, if everyone was honest with himself, they'd agree on that. For sure. Absolutely. All right, Matt, time to boogie. Let's go hunting. We'll talk to you guys later. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land.
So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.